2: Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound
1: On. We are actually going to do the largest infrastructure bill ever in America's history. The
3: more extraordinary the extraordinary measures get, the harder it is to put
4: pressure on Congress. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Why wouldn't you try a primary against... President Biden if he were to decide to run again, you guys know you speak to a pretty educated audience but that ceiling is a completely manufactured crisis. Bloomberg sound on with Joe
2: Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Inevitable the single word headline on the Bloomberg News app right now as the U.S. sees its first confirmed case of Omicron confirmed today by the CDC We'll have the latest for you and what the arrival of this new variant means for politics and for the economy. And we're going to start with one of the most important individuals in keeping the gears turning in our economy right now. White House Port Envoy John Porcari will be with us in just a moment. We're hearing more rumblings about a possible government shutdown at the end of this week. Are you serious? We'll have the real story, though, ahead with Bloomberg government's Emily Wilkins and Jack Fitzpatrick. They've been on the Hill all day digging into this. And the panel, Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis is here along with Democratic strategist Jim Kessler, co-founder of Third Way. They'll be around for the hour. I was in the White House briefing room today when Dr. Anthony Fauci walked out of the lower press office alongside Press Secretary Jen Psaki, a room full as the doctor hit the podium.
4: The California and San Francisco Departments of Public Health and the CDC have confirmed that a recent case of COVID-19 Among an individual in California was caused by the Omicron variant. The individual was fully vaccinated and experienced mild symptoms, which are improving at this point.
2: That was mid-afternoon today, Dr. Fauci confirming the news that so many people have been waiting for.
4: We knew that it was just a matter of time before the first case of Omicron would be detected in the United States. Hence the
2: headline, Inevitable. He told us that person did not get a booster. We later learned the individual was in San Francisco. And this news dropped after President Biden addressed the nation on the supply chain shortage, pointing to progress at ports on the West Coast, where operations have gone 24-7 to help ease the crunch.
1: Forty percent of the goods that come into the country on the West Coast come through two ports, Los Angeles and Long Beach. To help relieve congestion, I brought together labor and management and asked them to step up and cooperate more to move forward and operating those ports, not five days a week, 40 hours a week, but 24 hours a day, seven days a week.
2: Of course, it was only a couple hours later we heard about the first case, and there are new concerns, very real concerns about how the new variant may challenge that progress in our supply chains, and that's where we begin today. With the man President Biden put in charge of solving the whole port issue a couple of months ago, John Porcari, Port Envoy to the White House Supply Chain Disruptions Task Force. Welcome to Bloomberg Radio. Thank you. I'm going to ask you about the progress the administration is reporting from our ports. We heard some good things today from President Biden. But, of course, a lot of that progress rides on labor, the workforce. And there are a lot of people worried today, as I'm sure you know, that this new COVID variant could slow down the worker recovery. Are you modeling new scenarios now that Omicron has arrived in the U.S.?
3: Well, we've, throughout the pandemic and uh, the tapering of the pandemic, it, uh, we've been actually looking at ways to make the supply chain more resilient. And it's worth pointing out, for example, that the longshoremen uh, were frontline workers through the entire pandemic, lost. Uh, 20 workers to the pandemic uh, and kept on working. So we're trying to make sure we're prepared for every eventuality. Uh, One of the best things we can do is all make sure we go out there and get vaccinated.
2: What would new travel restrictions mean for the supply chain specifically, if there's a direct connection there? I'm curious to hear you talk about that, particularly among our biggest trading partners in Asia and Europe.
3: During the uh, pandemic uh, a year ago, There were real disruptions to the supply chain when, for example, ports in China closed for two weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those kind of impacts uh, could happen again at any time, which is what makes it so important for us to build a more resilient goods movement chain for the future.
2: Almost half the nation's imports arrive through the ports of L.A. and Long Beach, as the president reminded us today. How concerned are you about this first case being reported in California?
3: Well, we're, we're, we're uh, taking it as it comes, and obviously the public health professionals uh, are uh, mobilized and, and working hard on this issue. Uh, what we can do is make sure that uh, the goods movement chain progress that we've made, and we've made considerable progress uh, over the last couple of months, yeah. uh, continues, and we don't have any setbacks.
2: Well, before we move on, am I reading you right that you feel fairly prepared based on what's already been done, or are you putting new precautions in place to be prepared for a new variant?
3: With the the uh, cautions, and, uh, the precautions that served us so well uh, so far uh, in the pandemic uh, are, are a baseline going forward, and we'll make adaptations as we need to. Uh, But, uh, again, uh, making sure that that vaccination is as widespread as humanly possible Mm -hmm. is a real imperative going forward.
2: We're talking with the White House Port Envoy John Porcari, and I heard your name mentioned today by Mario Cordero, the executive director of the Port of Long Beach. He was talking here on Bloomberg, as a matter of fact. And he described a loosening at the port when he mentioned your name. Listen to what he said.
5: There is a lot of consumer demand, which is good news for our economy. And on the other hand, in terms of the progress I'm seeing, uh, obviously the containers that were at our terminals, and particularly the empty containers that were dwelling there, because of the initiatives of of the White House, and specifically uh, White House uh, envoy Picari, John Picari, we've been able to get the stakeholders to move this cargo at a pace of reducing Empty container dwell here uh, at, at, at a pace of 30%.
2: How much of that increase, that 30% improvement, is due to 24-7 operations, or are there other factors involved?
3: Uh, 24-7 operations is, are a big part of it because that's where the capacity is. That's where we can quickly ramp up capacity. Uh, but we've tried to squeeze additional uh, uh, capacity out of uh, the system wherever we possibly can. And it's a series of operational improvements all of which work at the margins, Joe, but these margins add up.
2: Do you think the ports of Long Beach and L.A. will implement a, a container dwell fee at this point?
3: Well, we would define success as not imposing the fee because the the threat of it has really uh, opened up the ports and, and made people work together in a way that they haven't before. Uh, the the point was not to collect revenue. The point was to actually incentivize everyone mm-hmm. to work together. It's been a tremendous success, uh, and uh, I personally would define success as never having to impose that fee.
2: We've heard a lot about a trucker shortage, a driver shortage, that it's very difficult to find enough people licensed who can drive overnight. How bad is that challenge, and what are you doing to deal with it?
3: Well, when, when people think about the um, – uh t- challenges of 24/7 they tend to focus on the ports uh rightly so but it's the mm-hmm. entire goods movement chain so uh making sure that uh that there's uh, uh both trucks and truckers making sure that uh the labor the longshoremen who are uh, actually doing the work uh on the docks uh is important but it's also as important to make sure that that the warehouses the distribution centers the fulfillment centers are moving towards 24 7 as well because it doesn't help to have uh round-the-clock capacity at the port end mm-hmm. if the other end uh, of the goods distribution chain uh can't accommodate it
2: well so where are we in the ball game here uh, envoy porcari have, have we bottomed out have we seen the worst it, it seems like the messaging from the white house from the president today when he spoke uh was one of great optimism how do you feel going into the holiday shopping season
3: I'm very optimistic uh, going into the holiday shopping season, and uh, it's important to to realize that while we've made a lot of gains together and the goods movement system is working far better than it did several months ago, we need to build on that. We need to actually rebuild differently and better than we did before. So the next inevitable upset uh, might be a natural disaster. It might be an economic event in another country, no matter what it is our supply chain is not as vulnerable as it has been in the past.
2: What is it that keeps you up at night right now? What's your biggest concern about this supply chain and its fragility?
3: Well, as we as we make gains in the supply chain and it's more fluid and we pick up velocity in moving goods, Joe, I think, uh, ironically, one of the biggest uh, threats and what keeps me up at night is that we'll just move on to something else and not finish the job of rebuilding for the future a supply chain that's the foundation for our future economy, not just today's, but our children's and our grandchildren's.
2: So is this going to be kind of the new normal then that oversized demand for goods that we're now suddenly experiencing is going to have to be managed for the long term or do you see that beginning to write itself maybe a year or two down the road that we're we're getting back to a more manageable demand level?
3: I see the demand that we have today as the baseline for the future. And uh, it's a it's a great Uh, problem to have because it means our economy is roaring back. It means that the uh, economic recovery has been faster than uh, most people anticipated. And it means Americans are getting back to work. So uh, let's make sure we build more capacity in the goods movement chain for the economy of the future, not just today's.
2: Everyone, as the president said today, uh, is looking for something they can't get around the holidays. I don't know if it's Cabbage Patch Kids or Beanie Babies this year or whatever. Outside of the extreme scenarios, can you tell the American people that they will likely be able to get, with this with this much notice, say a month ahead of Christmas, what it is they are looking for uh, for their, their shopping?
3: Well, there's a greater variety of goods and certainly a greater volume of goods available today than there ever have been before. Uh, And that bodes well for the holiday season. It bodes well for the economy. Uh, And I I think we uh, all ought to also take a deep breath and just be thankful for friends and family. Uh, And uh, the pandemic that we are getting through together has not slowed us down at all.
2: He's got one of the most important jobs in our economy right now. John Porcari, Port Envoy to the White House Supply Chain Disruptions Task Force. We've been looking forward to speaking with you and asking some questions Envoy Porcari, thanks very much for your insights today on Bloomberg Radio. My pleasure. Thanks, Joe. Maybe I dated myself with the Cabbage Patch Kid reference. But President Biden started that today. Now, for a little perspective, 49 container vessels are anchored off the coasts of L.A. and Long Beach. As of late yesterday, an improvement from the more than 80 that were out there in line a few weeks ago. Coming up, we assemble the panel for more on all of this. The first case confirmed in the U.S., And we'll talk about it with Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis, along with Democratic strategist Jim Kessler, co-founder of Third Way. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.
0: Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance, At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more. This
2: is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The headline on the terminal, Biden sees progress in supply chain crisis amid faster inflation. Jenny Leonard writing, the president sees higher inflation as a natural byproduct of the global economy's recovery from the pandemic. Okay, we heard from the president earlier today, but what happens when you add Omicron to the mix? Let's bring in the panel to talk it out. As we're joined by Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis and Jim Kessler is with us today, co-founder of Third Way, Democratic strategist, former legislative policy director for Senator Chuck Schumer. It's great to have both of you with us here. Rick, we just spoke to the, the port envoy. This is the man in charge here. And I asked him, as you heard, about modeling different scenarios here with Omicron. It sounds to me like the administration feels like it's done a lot of work on this already and it's waiting for more news how disruptive could this be?
1: Well, the, if the news is is bad news, in other words, uh, requiring even more effort by this administration to stem the spread now that we have our first identified case in the United States, uh, it could scare off people from returning to the job market. And if it scares off people from returning to the job market, that could actually put even more pressure on the supply chain that the envoys trying to do the best he can to strap together and deliver goods and services, you know, to the... Um, to the uh, people selling them who are actually under a lot of stress and demand for those goods and services. So mm-hmm. it, it it could have a, a, a very, uh, I'd say, uh, uh, a problematic effect on the growing economy uh, if if people decide that they, they don't want to be in the job uh, uh, spots uh, uh, because of their potential exposure to the yeah. new Omicron.
2: And these can be, you know, pretty close proximity jobs. Jim Kessler, it was quite a commotion today inside the West Wing when it became clear that this was this was breaking news. And it was only a couple of moments later when Dr. Fauci walked out with the press secretary, even though we knew it was coming, we knew what he was going to tell us. There was there was a real uh, hush that came over the room and there was a sense of drama that came with this. I wonder how seriously you're taking this. He says it's inevitable. Everyone did expect it. But when it actually happens. How much of a problem is this for the administration?
4: Well, look, we had a recession that was like no other because it was pandemic led. We've had a recovery that's like no other because it was bringing a patient that was like in a medically induced coma Mm -hmm. back to life. And, you know, and I think it brought some difficulties. Definitely supply chains and inflation were part of that. And then it feels like America had this and the world had this false hope that, Maybe we were through the whole thing, so this, you know, you know, this just felt like a gigantic bummer. Okay, but <laughs> well, yes, we're in yes, but we're in better shape than we were two years ago. Like, we know what to do. There are vaccines that, um, at this point, that they may work with this variant. They may work just as well. They may work almost as well. The pharmaceutical industries are looking to make the vaccine even better for this variant. We don't know if this variant is going to outpace the Delta variant. So a lot of uncertainties and I think right now we're all looking at the glasses half empty and there could be a half full scenario.
2: OK, that's good. Well, but, but while we're half empty here, there are a lot of concerns about inflation being made worse by this. Right. That the labor crunch will become more intense. And, Jim, just yesterday I was talking with Rick and with with Jeannie, our, our Democrat on the panel. We've spoken with lawmakers this week. Everyone seems to feel like this challenges the economic agenda at this White House, that there will be less appetite to spend a lot more. Is that true?
4: Well, I don't know. I I think it's it's too early to say. And in its impact on inflation, it's going to work both ways. Rick was right. There's going to be issues with the labor force and whether people want to participate in that. And that is definitely one of the driving factors of rising costs and, and inflation. It also means things like oil and gas prices are going to drop because there's going to be, you know, less travel. So we're going to see things working both ways. I can tell you, if businesses are going to have to shut down, if we're mm-hmm. going to have to close down the economy for a period of time, my hope is we don't. We better be spending money to make sure those businesses can stay afloat, like oh. we did in 2020. Like we're yeah. going to have to do that, whether there's an appetite to do that or not. Hopefully, we won't.
2: Which could challenge uh, the the social spending plan. But Rick, the president needs to talk about this tomorrow. He's promised us an update. He said this Monday when he came out, I'll talk to you Thursday about the way we're going to handle COVID. We're going to fight the virus through the winter. Uh, I know he needs to say something, but if we're still two weeks two weeks away from having data, how much can he say? How much confidence can he project in a moment like that?
1: Yeah, I think this is all about dealing with the perception of what's happening out there, not the practicality of what's happening. I think Jim just mentioned a, a number of things that are practically happening, right? And And the reality is that, you know, The economy does need to move forward and is moving forward. And actually, some of these things have inured to give us lower gas prices potentially into the winter, which is good for consumers and people who have home heating oil. And and, and there are a lot of good practical things happening. The October jobs report was really positive, but nobody's feeling that. Consumer confidence is at all time low. People think the country's off on the wrong track by 70 percent. They marked down Biden's handling the economy to one of the worst in, in, in modern history. And so he's got an optics problem. And tomorrow he needs to start, you know, changing that. Yeah.
2: Well, we're going to be talking a lot about that tomorrow. As I read on the terminal, although there is likely enough support from GOP senators to pass a stopgap. And that's what we need here. If, God forbid we write a budget and pass it. Stopgap to get beyond Friday. That's the deadline. Any one senator can demand extra procedural steps in the Senate that can drag on for nearly a week. And so we're talking about a possible shutdown here. As it could come from an effort by a group of GOP senators to link support for the measure to halting funding for President Biden's vaccine or test workplace rule. Some call a mandate, other calls a requirement but well, we go to the Hill for more on this to find out what's real. Right. I mean, we we hear these shutdown stories a lot, but let's see what's really happening. Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick is with us, along with Emily Wilkins. They've been on the Hill all day, as they are just about every day. And, Jack, I'll start with you. How real is this threat and, and how long would a shutdown be if if it did occur?
5: There's a very significant threat of a shutdown that would probably be pretty short. Uh, As you mentioned, a single senator can gum up the works and require, you know, you do the math, they could could require 60 votes, basically, of uh, debate, uh, 60 hours of debate, uh, even if they have 60 votes to end debate. And we don't even have 60 hours left before Friday night's deadline. So there, there could be a short weekend shutdown or something along those lines. Um, unless there's a pretty surprising deal. We heard from Senator Roger Marshall, who says he wants an amendment vote or something in the stopgap to block the vaccine rule, uh, and, and he doesn't even want a 60-vote threshold in the Senate on that. He just wants a simple majority. I'm not sure Democrats want to give him that. So there's a lot of hardball being played, and there's just not an apparent solution to it. Uh, and he alone could take us probably into a, a weekend shutdown or something short.
2: So this would be to send a message, obviously, right? We heard uh, from Senator Mike Braun on uh, balance of power earlier today, and and he made clear he said Republicans are left holding the bag where they get the blame for it. We should never be shutting the government down, but he was also very sympathetic uh, to some of the thoughts that that's that these Republicans have uh, as, as a result of this. Do they want to pull funding for that plan? As I'm reading here, Jack, or or it would be banned somehow in that amendment. Mm-mm.
5: Yeah, so they don't really—it's not a funding issue, but any time you have a must-pass piece of legislation, uh, you can attach a rider and say, no funds shall be used for this regulation, mm-hmm. and it, there's always at least a dollar. You're paying somebody's salary who carries it out, so effectively they can, they can make it—they can put this policy provision that would ban the OSHA rule— in this spending measure, even though it's not really about money. Right. Uh, that's what the, the goal is. And Senator Marshall is the one, uh, along with, I believe, Mike Lee and Ted Cruz, saying that should be inserted into this stopgap. And, yes, there are a number of Republicans who don't think that this is the right way to do it, but we're so late uh, and close to the deadline that, uh, again, a single senator can, can stick this up and, and, uh, and probably get us into a brief shutdown.
2: All right, Emily Wilkins, the blame game would ensue immediately because I'm assuming this would catch a lot of people by surprise. Not everybody is in this minute to minute uh, like our listeners here on Bloomberg Radio. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be some fans here. Some conservatives will will be able to raise money on this and so forth. But Republicans could also end up being blamed, as Senator Braun said, Emily.
6: Yeah, that's sort of the the risk that's being run here. How do you sort of balance, you know, taking a stand against vaccine mandates versus being blamed for a government shutdown? Uh, I mean, it is notable that this isn't all Republicans who are supportive of a government shutdown. A number Mm -hmm. of them do want the government. It's a pretty
2: small number, to be fair, right?
6: Well, it's got to be at least 10. Um, I mean, you've even heard Mitch McConnell coming out today saying that, you know, he, he wasn't, he's, he does not been speaking in support of a shutdown at this point. And, and I mean, all you really need is, is the 10 Republicans to join with Democrats. Yes, it might mean that we don't hit that Friday deadline. Yes, it might mean we head into a weekend shutdown. But if it's just the weekend and then they come in Monday, Tuesday, and they are able to pass that, that short-term spending limit yeah. with the help of some Senate Republicans, they only need 10. Um, Um, Then the effects of the shutdown, they might wind up being, you know, a little bit smaller. It's not going to be something that necessarily drags for two, three weeks and winds up really having major disruptions.
2: Emily, you cover the leadership on Capitol Hill. When do they start squawking about this? When do we start hearing warnings so people know that this might be coming?
6: I mean, there's definitely already a high level of concern. I think Jack laid out the timeline really well. They're aware of exactly how long this is going to take, and even though they're going to be continuing to work tonight on trying to figure out the details of this, that they they know that to a certain extent, time is run out. So I think it's it's really only a matter of time until we start seeing the official warnings coming out, you know, letting people know that hey, we need to start preparing for this. Uh, and we need to start figuring out you know, what lawmakers need to figure out what their weekends are going to start looking like and if Jeez. they're going to be heading home or if they're going to be sticking around for, for a long, a long weekend while they hash the rest of this out.
2: Hey, Jack, is there another lever for uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to pull here, something short of, of, of agreeing to kill this, this vaccine rule? Is there something else that would sweeten the deal for Republicans so they would back off and let this pass?
5: So we don't know if this would work yet, but one thing we know has been discussed that is being considered by these conservatives is a separate vote on the Congressional Review Act procedure to repeal a regulation. That would be a weaker measure for these conservatives uh, because that's subject to veto by the president. So what they're talking about now is attaching it to this stopgap measure, using that as their leverage Uh, But, yes, there has been a conversation about a separate vote that doesn't risk a shutdown. And if people want to back off and say, well, at least I got this vote, that's still a possibility. So there's not a guarantee that it's a shutdown. But really, they are talking about using this stopgap as leverage right now.
2: When do we find out, Emily? Does it come down to the wire Friday night?
6: I mean, that, that's what the pattern has been for the last it has couple to, right? Major bills, right? Yeah. They they tend to pass a lot of important stuff at 11, 11 p.m. midnight <laughs> on a Friday. So, I mean, certainly you're you're seeing the lawmakers you know, continue to work on this. Um, but, you know, even lawmakers talking today said, you yeah, know, we're still working. There's no updates yet.
2: So you know where to find Jack and Emily on Friday night. Thank you, guys. Jack Fitzpatrick, Emily Wilkins, Bloomberg Government's crack Capitol Hill team. The real scoop here. You will not get that kind of detail anywhere else, but that's why you're already listening, of course. You've got to hear Press Secretary Jen Psaki connect the dots between the shutdown and the Trump positive test. That's next. This is Bloomberg.
0: Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance, At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more.
2: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Well, we got the straight scoop from Jack and Emily on this possible shutdown. It's not a lot of players. Emily made a great point. We're talking about maybe a half dozen, four or five Republican senators potentially slowing things down to a shutdown on Friday. And I want to hear from the panel on this. You know, these two gentlemen who are with us on the panel today lived through many throws like this and actually survived several shutdowns in both of their careers in the senate that would be bloomberg politics contributor rick davis and jim kessler is with us today democratic strategist he's now with third way well he's the co-founder was one-time legislative policy director for senator chuck schumer so start us off here uh rick what's your thought on shutting down the government over the vaccine mandate for starters and are we just playing around is this about raising money and sending emails or are we really going to go through this whole thing again?
1: Yeah, no, uh, there's no such thing as a good government shutdown. So uh, if anybody's going to raise money on it, it's it's usually uh, a very short-term benefit. Uh, I lived through, as you described, uh, a government shutdown when I was helping to run uh, Bob Dole's presidential campaign in 1996. And Newt Gingrich thought it was brilliant to shut <laughs> down the government. And yeah. it was a disaster for Bob Dole, uh, whose name was on the ballot that year uh, for president, not not Newt Gingrich. Uh, although by the end of that campaign, you'd have thought Newt Gingrich was our running mate. Uh, <laughs> by the way, it was handled. So, so yeah. I mean, I've seen it up close and, and personal, and it's a disaster. And I think most of the Republican caucus remembers those days. They're they're not they're not immune to history, right? And uh, and they want to avoid this at all costs. Unfortunately, there's a, a small band, as you said, three or four people, who uh, see this as an opportunity to make headlines, and there is a movement in the Republican side of the aisle, uh, in the States to oppose these mandates. Um, they've co-opted the old abortion line, my body, my choice, right. And now it's applied to vaccines. (laughs) And so, um, so they're appealing to that. And, and so it's not without merit politically. It's just a, a disastrous way to, uh, benefit a few at the cost of the many.
2: Jim Kessler, do you see it happening? Do you see a shutdown taking place? And what must Senator Schumer be doing in the background now to, I'm assuming, prevent that from happening?
4: Well, I remember the same shutdown that Rick remembers. And it was, you know, I was on the Democratic side. And frankly, it was like a shot of adrenaline for Democrats. It was um, really the end of the dull, uh candidacy. So, you know. He who starts the shutdown pays the price. And can you imagine right now with the new variant saying we want to have a shutdown because we don't want vaccines? We don't want people to get vaccinated. Look, I expect if there's going to be a shutdown, it's going to be very short because Mitch McConnell knows the exact same lesson that Rick was talking about. Mitch McConnell doesn't want a government shutdown. He wants to corral his own troops on this. I know Schumer doesn't want a government shutdown. So I think when you've got the leaders of both parties in the Senate trying to avert it, my guess and my hope is that they're going to avert it. What you had in 1995 was the leader of the Republican Party in the House thought it was a brilliant strategy and Mm -hmm. it was idiotic.
2: Neither leader believes that uh, in this case. To Jim's point, Rick, does Mitch McConnell end up being the one who keeps this from happening or, or keeps it short if it does?
1: Yeah, I think that, that, as as Jim rightly points out, uh, it, it's one of these rare moments where the, the leader on both sides of the aisle, uh, McConnell and Schumer, actually want to get the right thing done. And so that's a powerful uh, weapon to progress. And so I have no doubt that they'll cut some kind of a deal with these guys to give them their public show of support for getting rid of these mandates and then move on with the business of government and pass the Get the shutdown done, as Emily said on your last segment. uh, Plan on bringing in the cots Friday night. Yeah, this is (laughs) is it. Here we go again.
2: It's date night, everybody. Uh, I want to add another story here, another headline. And and I was just absolutely amazed to hear Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, weave them together in one answer today, which I'll play for you in a moment. If you haven't heard about this. Uh, Donald Trump testing positive story it is uh, it, it's well the New York Times reporting that the the Trump tested positive three days positive for COVID three days before his first debate with Joe Biden candidate Biden 2020 the White House did not announce the positive test at the time and the president received a negative result shortly afterward carried on with a campaign rally and meetings and was shaking hands and hugging people and so forth but a lot of questions today at this White House about whether Joe Biden uh, knew about it at the time, if he'd heard about it before now, if he was at risk. And Jen Psaki asked as well about the government shutdown and tried to weave them together in one answer.
7: Currently, in Congress, as we're looking at uh, the government staying open, you have supporters of the former president, uh, supporters of the former president who withheld information uh, reportedly about testing positive and appeared apparently at a debate, also held events at the White House reportedly with military veterans and uh, military families, reportedly — many of you covered, so you could you could confirm that um, — and did that without disclosing, and these supporters of this uh, — of the former President are advocating uh, for shutting the federal government down so that twenty percent of the public who are refusing to get vaccinated or tested can be free to infect their co workers, our children filling hospitals. That they that, that is what they are advocating for. They want to shut the government down in order to advocate for people to uh assert that on society so i don't think that should be lost on us as we're looking at these reports this morning either Ooh,
2: wow and those reports first came out of mark meadows book i should say the chief's chief uh that was quite an exercise I, I think in in 3d chess there jim but did we just hear the press secretary kind of riffing on what the the narrative will be from the democratic party if this happens
4: yeah and i think it goes a little bit deeper than that too which is especially as Omicron is is emerging in the United States, which is a reminder that when the last president faced a crisis on the pandemic, he choked and referred to it as it's going to be a common cold and nothing worse than the flu. And China is doing a great job. And by the way, if you if you inject some chlorine into your system or here's some horse deworming medication that could work for you, you know, everything will be fine. And as a reminder that this This was the disaster that led to the shutdown of the economy, that led to hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people dying. And now we've got somebody who is steady at the helm, who's going to take this seriously. And by the way, these folks are still in government uh, on the Republican side, these Trump loyalists, and they want to make the coronavirus or the the latest version of it spread even more because they don't believe it. And they're, you, you know, they're they're in thrall of these hoaxes. So. It's a reminder of what was in the past, the Christmas past, of Donald Trump, and that you don't want to experience that again.
2: Is this a good strategy, uh, a good communication strategy, Rick, knowing that, as we discussed, the president will be uh, speaking to the nation about fighting COVID tomorrow? And we're just learning now that the administration will extend requirements for travelers to wear masks on planes, trains, buses, airports, public areas through mid-March. Is Jen Psaki going too deep there, or is that exactly what the administration and Democrats should do?
1: Well, she, she did quite a pivot there, you know, talking yeah, that about was Donald Trump, uh, you know, one minute and then saying it's this band of Republicans who want to upset the government and, uh, and, and not vote for it. But wants to tie uh, them to
2: Trump. You know, these are yeah. the guys protecting him, didn't tell you when they knew better
1: yeah and and, by the way, I mean, they want to be tied to trump they They actually are using her language in their reelection campaigns, probably because they'll they'll claim that this is exactly what they're fighting against is this notion that we have to all dig into a hole. Look, I mean, Joe Biden's in a tough spot exactly because of why. Uh, Jim Kessler was just talking about. He wants to do the right thing. He's actually trying to beat a global pandemic within the shores of the United States. And, and he doesn't have a lot of cooperation. He's still got a lot of people who seem to think that this is something that they have a choice, you yeah. know, and that they can get vaccinated or not. And, and at the same time, he's trying to resuscitate a, a, a economy and get people back to work who are nervous about this. And so the fact that he's extending the mandate for masks on air travel and things like that, Totally practical, makes complete sense. Encouraging people to get vaccines, totally practical, makes complete sense. None of which are actually gonna get him any popularity points Mm -hmm. at a time when he sees his public approval rating diving. And people are upset with uh, having to go through all this. And and rightly so, nobody likes a global pandemic. Once it's over, we'll be happier. Getting it over quicker uh, because of these measures may be the best we can do, but you shoot the messenger in the process.
2: Donald Trump did issue a statement by the way on this it's quote it's a very short one. The story of me having COVID prior to or during the first debate is fake news. In fact, a test revealed I did not have COVID prior to the debate. but that's not the point uh, here, Jim, right? The fact is he had a whether it was false or not, there was a positive result. and before that negative one, according to Mark Meadows, who's not mentioned in this statement, he went ahead to the debate anyway.
4: Well, and how can you believe anything that Donald Trump says, to be perfectly honest? I mean, he if something is blue, he'll say it's yellow. I, I, this is a reminder. Look, this is a bigger strategy on the part of Biden, which is he, Rick is right. He. What about Trump's strategy,
2: talking. though? And I only have a minute here, Jim, but is this or are, are we writing off? Is Donald Trump writing off his former chief of staff because he's going to be talking to the January 6th commission?
4: Probably. And he's going to be writing off everybody. I mean. You know, ask Steve Bannon, ask the other loyalists in mm. the Trump world how loyal Trump is back to him. You know, you he's only as loyal to you as the last thing that you said. So, you know, you're well, playing with dynamite with Donald Trump.
2: We'll have a lot more on these uh, COVID headlines tomorrow. The president will be speaking and, of course, you'll hear him live on Bloomberg Radio. Jim Kessler. Co-founder of Third Way, Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributor. Many thanks for the insights as always. Thanks to all of our guests for being here. I'll meet you back here tomorrow. We'll have a lot more. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.
0: Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you?